0: Christmas. You know, you think of opening the presents and around the tree in the morning, a nice Christmas dinner, hopefully a little snow on the ground. You know, we're, we're all dreaming of a white Christmas. And then you know most people get to stay home and enjoy that day with their family, but American servicemen, regardless of where they serve, they don't always have that that ability. You know, sometimes their job is is to be on guard no matter what happens. And during Cold War years especially, our servicemen and women had to be on guard for the ever-present threat of our foreign enemies. And so, as Christmas Day gives way to Christmas night and most people get to snuggle down into their beds, an incident happened in Rindlesham Forest in England, which found American servicemen running through the woods in pursuit of a strange, unknown flying object. And we're going to talk about the Rindlesham Forest incident tonight.
1: From a child born into this world, we are taught what to believe close minded we become fearful to be deceived. Still, we desire to know what lies beyond that locked door. The art of the storyteller conjuring tales of legend and lore. History hidden, lost knowledge, things forgotten and the unknown. These are the things that direct us and will set the tone. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Nightmares on the Lost Highway. You know, this is one of those topics that I really, I have to say, I really, really enjoy. Uh, and that's one of the unexplained phenomenon of UFO. Uh, it's just the fact that, you know, we have so much new technology and almost everyone nowadays has, you know, a camera right there with them on their phone, uh, we're able to capture a lot more stuff that, you know, even two, three decades ago wouldn't be possible. And yet we still can't get a clear picture of a Bigfoot. Right. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> I think it's maybe, well, never mind. <laughs> We're discovering more and more planets and solar systems and just how vast the universe uh, may truly be. And I personally think, and some may disagree with me, but I personally think it's almost foolish for us to consider we are the only ones that exist on any planet, in any universe, any solar system. You know, there's been thousands and thousands of reported UFO incidents over the past century, and probably more than 80% have just occurred in the past 50 years. You know, recently we've talked about, uh, and you've probably saw online, There was some footage uh, that was leaked by a filmmaker by the name of Jeremy Corbell. Uh, It was some video footage that was taken by the Navy off the coast of what I believe was California. And uh, it clearly shows a triangle or pyramid-shaped craft that had pulsating lights that moved across the sky. Then, of course, earlier in 2000, there was the U.S. military released and admitted for the first time. Uh, They had U.S. Navy and Air Force trying to track this super fast flying object we saw that all over the internet and you know where they were able to ping it you know it just leads to more questions you know are these crafts manned by some alien life form are they a national threat are they friendly possibly inquisitive visitors from another galaxy or maybe as some would believe time travelers trying to communicate warn us of impending doom travelers from another dimension seems to be another common theory yeah i mean and this is just another one of those examples that we're going to talk about tonight for our Christmas special, if you will, with Rendlesham Forest. At the very least, you know, I think I find it refreshing that finally the military has admitted uh, that they have been aware of such events uh, when just 30, 40 years ago, most would have laughed at people like ourselves <laughs> or people uh, that tried to believe. Uh, I think it's adding integrity to those of us who have always believed.
0: Speaking of UFOs and mm-hmm. the Rendlesham Forest incident. Suffolk, England. Yeah, Suffolk, England. So this occurred on the night of, okay, I say night of, but it would be uh, early, early morning on December 26th. The so day after Christmas. Christmas night, you know, the next day, uh, and mm-hmm. continued for another day or so. On the, the 28th, there's a lot of notable events. This group of, uh, this this sighting happened just outside the Royal Air Force Station Woodbridge, which at the time was being used by the United States Air Force. It was kind of a lease kind of thing, or, or I'm not sure exactly how it worked.
1: It, it, that seems like a weird situation. Yeah. I mean, did they rent it to us, or, you know, <laughs> does we, that work? We,
0: we had United States Air Force personnel occupying this. Well, occupying might be the wrong word to use. Uh, <laughs> they were they were using this English uh, air air station. So the, the bulk of the Rendlesham th- sighting is basically that these the airmen there, over the course of a couple of days, claimed to have seen what they described as UFO and un- unidentified flying object that seemed to have descended into the forest at one point and then kind of zipped and traveled around. We're going to go into more detail on that. But over the course of a couple of days, they just saw the, this unexplained phenomenon. And a lot of it was documented by Lieutenant Colonel Charles I. Halt, who seemed to be, you know, he, he very, he's a guy who went from skeptic to believer over the course of a couple of days here. And we'll talk about that too. But most of what we know about Rendlesham Forest comes from Halt. Now, I so, will
1: say, I wasn't familiar with Rendlesham Forest. I'd heard of it, but it's about a hundred miles to the northeast of London, and the entire forest is is pretty thick, and it encompasses about six square miles. Yeah, and just then, about
0: six square miles of uh, coniferous, so pine tree, pine tree type, that kind of tree.
1: Now, again, as we were talking earlier before we started recording, there was two bases, kind of adjacent yeah. of each other, one on one end of the forest, one on the other. And the other was uh, by the Royal Air Force. They still had it. And then we had the one leased or whatever from them. So, you know, the United States was there.
0: But yeah, Rendlesham Forest is considered, in in UK it, in UFO circles, it's considered UK's equivalent to the Roswell UFO incident here in America. I love that. I mean, they're, they're very similar. Now, there's all sorts of claims when it comes to Rendlesham. And I'm going to try to stick to the most believable version of the story. There's some very outlandish claims. And I'll kind of... Filter in a little bit as we go, and, and you may have read about some of these in your research. But basically, we'll, we'll just start. Uh, first of all, the official record states that this event posed uh, no threat to national security, and therefore it was never investigated as a threat to the national security. Uh, and it's rumored that a at the time, Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher told everyone, "Don't tell the people." You know, they didn't want it reported. They didn't want people worried about these maybe UFOs panicking in their the people.
1: Yeah. But, again, it's U.S. air base with unidentified lights, but it's not a national threat. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I
0: mean, again, this was Cold War, so
1: there's a lot of <laughs> strange state. national threat,
0: yeah. Uh, our primary pieces of evidence for the Rendles from Forest incident come from a number of sources. Uh, number one is the Halt Memo, again, written by Lieutenant Colonel James I. Halt, who was Deputy Base Commander at the time. This was made available under the Freedom of Information Act in 1983. Uh, it was d- dated January thirteenth, nineteen eighty-one, under the title "Unexplained Lights." You have the halt tape, which halt and his crew, when they went out to investigate, brought a handheld tape recorder with them to record uh, to make a real-time recording of what was happening as they investigated. You have the halt affidavit, which is signed and notarized on June of two thousand ten, stating his belief that the event was extraterrestrial in origin. Like I said, this event. Made Halt change his opinion from skeptic to believer. He believes now in, in these Literally things. Literally
1: within about 48 hours.
0: You also have the Suffolk police log uh, documenting police involvement at the time, which they were called in to mm-hmm. to help investigate. And of course, their report says there's nothing unusual is found at the time. Now, if you look online, you can actually find a copy of some of the Suffolk uh, police records from the time, and they'll talk about reports of strange lights, but then eventually their investigation kind of leads them to find nothing.
1: Well, and they, I believe they were kind of leaning to a nearby lighthouse that the police were trying to basically blow it off. Well, the soldiers saw this reflection of this this lighthouse that was off the coast.
0: Well, towards the, the end of my notes here, I get into possible explanations. Uh, the lighthouse does come up a lot. and it, I mean, people literally have, have tried to pick this one apart and say, well, it could be this, it could be that. They report seeing star-like objects in the sky moving around at different you know, odd angles and extreme speeds. And literally, astronomers are like, well, you just saw stars. Well, I don't know about you. But <laughs> I, I don't think see I would a lot recognize of, that. Yeah, a lot of stars don't move and, and send beams of light down. They're so, so. also not red, usually. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, about 3 a.m. on the morning of December 26th, so again, after most people have had their Christmas day and settled their brains, you know, down for sleep. In 1980. Uh, in 1980. Uh, Airman First Class John Burroughs is on security patrol near the east gate of Woodbridge. Uh, he's with a partner, and, you know, again, they're just patrolling the base, which anyone in the military, I'm sure, is yep. familiar Very with that procedure. procedure. And at some point, you know, like, like I said, about 3 a.m., they see lights descend into Rendlesham Forest. Uh, so, of course, being concerned and being good soldiers the way they are, they go back to a nearby post, and they call it into their superior to let them know, hey, we've seen something. We need to do something about this. Uh, about the same time, another patrol arrives at this post, and they confirm that they, too, saw lights descend into Rendlesham Forest. Mm-hmm they were sent off base to investigate now nah, because uh, like you, this for this base is kind of on one side of Rendlesham forest. You said there's another base that's located adjacent to Rendlesham from forest. Mm-hmm. Rendlesham forest itself is this wooded area about six acres, like you said. So to explore Rendlesham from forest, they have to leave the base. Now, since they're stationed overseas, I guess they're not allowed to take weapons with them when they leave the base. So they are going out to investigate a UFO without weapons. Now these are military guys which I'm pretty sure they're used to bringing weapons with them. And I don't know about you, but charging off into a strange forest to hunt down a potential, at the time, the they don't, they don't know what night. it is. Yeah. It, this is the Cold War. For all they know, the Russians have parachuted down into Reynolds from Forest. Right, right. And they're going out there without any guns. So these are some brave guys.
1: Now, I think that same night, and, and maybe you were going to touch upon this, I think the first alert was a farmer had reported seeing a upside-down-shaped mushroom craft vehicle that was hovering above his garden just a few moments before 3 a.m. when the guards saw it at the east gate.
0: Well, the sightings are not specifically limited just to the airmen and, and such, so I know that there were other there were other sightings in the surrounding area.
1: But again, kind of setting that integrity, there was several yeah. people who saw this yeah. event.
0: Since they're leaving American jurisdiction, like I said, they leave their weapons behind, and they go off into from Forest to figure out what it is that's going on. Now, their initial assumption is that this is a downed aircraft. Obviously, that's the simple explanation. Somebody crashed. Mm-hmm. They never heard a crash to accompany that or explosion or anything like that. Well,
1: and this base was the home of the A-10 Thunderbolt 2, which was the anti-tank fighter jet. So, again, I mean, this was an airstrip, yeah. and it would stand a reason. Yeah, yeah, maybe somebody was trying to, to do a forced emergency landing and didn't make it.
0: According to Halt's memo, what they saw was a strange glowing object. Described it as being metallic in appearance, triangular in shape, approximately nine feet across the base and nine feet high. So it'd be in a triangular shape, but, you know, pretty, pretty sizable. Yeah, mm-hmm. like you said, the size of a car. The size of a car. Some accounts also say that it was covered in hieroglyph-like markings. Thought
1: that was Interesting. Yeah, I, I thought that was with was, with the glyphs being as tall as three foot Wow
0: no, okay I didn't find any Yeah, I saw some reference to
1: that and I went back and reread it a couple times, like that that's some big letters.
0: Now according to the gentleman that found it, the, the object illuminated the entire forest with a bright light, and uh had a pulsing red light on top and a bank of blue lights underneath, and appeared to be sitting on three legs like a tripod. An airman by the name of Penniston approached the craft and touched it at which point it sped off at impossible speed through the forest. Um, and they said that while in the presence of the object, everything felt slower or strange.
1: Yeah, soupy, like time was being distorted and, and all of that.
0: Now, in later accounts, Peniston himself will actually go on to to claim that the, the object implanted binary code into his brain yeah, he, he
1: said maybe looking back on it touching it was probably you know not the best yeah, possible solution
0: but but his story kind of gets inflated over the years but they also report that that animals on a nearby farm were in a frenzy you could hear animals all over the place it was also going nuts
1: i'd found as the men approached the vessel ship uh, their radio transmission started acting up so there was some type of an interference There were three soldiers at that point. One stayed back at the edge of the woods as the other two went in to investigate so that they could yell. And then the one that could still get radio reception could, you know, broadcast that in. And they were talking about, like you said, there was this kind of thick soupiness that kind of delayed them. But then uh, uh, the two men that approached, they said once they got within about 10 foot, that that kind of like let up and it was normal again. So it was almost like there was a A dome, a bubble, if you will, around this craft.
0: So for the next two hours, they played kind of a cat and mouse game with this object through the forest, uh, with it appearing specifically documented near the back gate of Woodbridge again. Penniston, in his official document, uh, I have here Sergeant Jim Penniston, he claimed to encounter a craft of unknown origin. That's the only way he could term it. So so later, uh, shortly after 4 a.m., uh, the local police were called in, so that's where the Suffolk police blotter comes into to account, like they, they were called in. According to the police, the only reported lights they saw while they were there were from the Orford Ness Lighthouse, hmm. which this, this lighthouse comes, comes lighthouse. into the story quite a bit away. Yep. Uh, this particular lighthouse is miles away on the coast. Hmm. Uh, we'll probably talk about that a little bit more as we go. Shortly after daybreak, some servicemen went out, and they found a small clearing on the eastern edge of the forest where there were three impressions in the ground in a triangular pattern where the craft had apparently come to rest. The depressions were one and a uh, half, one and one half inch deep and about seven inches in diameter. So it does sound like some kind of circular, like, landing mm-hmm. gear. Landing gear. Uh, there were burn marks and broken branches on nearby trees. And about 1030 a.m., the local police are called in again to view these impressions. And they say, oh, they could have been made by an animal. So the local police were not having it. Those crazy rabbits. Involved.
1: Yeah. <laughs> waskly rabbits. Now you had mentioned, uh, you know, Jim Pennison. He was one of the main officers there. I thought it was worth mentioning. He was a trained propulsion engineer. He had studied and researched every form of engine and craft known to man, including Russian and and other ones. I mean, that was part of his task in the military. And as he approached the ship, he noted that there were no seams, no bolts or rivets. uh, And in between the flashing lights, he had Peered at the at the material trying to figure out what it was like and he described it as upon getting close before he touched it it was almost like black glass however when he decided whether it be good <laughs> or bad to touch it he That's touched right, out and touched this strange alien spaceship yeah he, he touched one of these as it was stated three foot tall runes and the black glass then took on a different texture he said almost like sandpaper. And again, his story has kind of been embellished over the years. So like most stories His original account on. is, I touched the
0: object. And then later yeah. on, it's,
1: they it was black glass stuff directly and, into my brain. And, and, and there was a, a lights emitted that, that temporarily blinded him for several minutes. And yeah, yeah.
0: So we move on to the events of December 28th, the early hours. So December 27th kind of goes by uneventful. The 28th, the early hours, base commander, lieutenant Halt, goes out to the site with several uh, other servicemen. Uh, they take radiation readings in the clearing where the impressions are found with a standard U.S. military radiation survey meter. Um, if you've ever watched the HBO series Chernobyl, you're going to hear a familiar word oh, yeah. here in a minute. They recorded 0.1 roentgen, which is a measurement of radiation, and, and I'm not sure exactly what we're measuring, but obviously like extremely high levels, that, that's what kills
1: people. Yeah, and I think they said it was like, twice the normal amount of what would be considered normal. Yeah, there's, there's
0: a certain amount of background radiation that we experience at all times. So it but yeah, that was higher amount. than average. Yeah. They also found that the nearby trees were giving off slightly
1: higher readings,
0: 0.05 and point, to 0.07. So again, slightly higher than the surrounding
1: area. And they had said that part of the trees had been burned, yes. singed, and that type of deal.
0: And yeah. and broken branches. Mm-hmm. Uh, they detected a small burst about a half a mile away from the landing site that they documented. Now, during this investigation, a flashing light was seen across the field to the east, and it almost in line with a farmhouse, and, and similar to what they had witnessed the first night. And, and again, the Oxford Nest Lighthouse is f- visible further east along this same line of sight. And again, we'll talk about that lighthouse a couple of times. People keep wanting to put off that, oh, they saw the lighthouse, they saw the lighthouse. And I think you That's have a little, little more on that as yeah, we get later yeah. on. So the night of the 28th, about 9.30 p.m., more lights are spotted. And uh, Halt decides they're going to set up some floodlights out in the forest. If there, if there's going to be something running around the woods,
1: they're going to see it. We're going to try to be as prepared as we can be.
0: Uh, there were also other strange phenomenon. Gear would malfunction. The floodlights themselves would kind of flicker. So there was definitely something going on in the woods that night. Base security was dispatched to replace lights that were malfunctioning. And Halt sent out a photographer with him to take pictures just in case. You know, if, if he saw something, they wanted to document what was going on. He was all about documenting. I think he did a fairly good job on, well, with under the circumstances. And I think,
1: as we were talking, I think this is not only from a government standpoint, but I think the man's trying to prove it to himself, what he's saying. Because oh, yeah, he was yeah, a yeah. skeptic, and he became a believer, and he's like, I know what I saw. I, I want to prove this. Yeah, the, the events of this night,
0: uh, according to Halt himself, are what made him a believer. So they do eventually see a red sun-like light moving through the trees. Uh, It moved and it pulsed, it zigzagged and winked at them as it. You know, I say winked, but you know, and I'm probably blinking on and off. But yeah, they 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 actually
1: described one of the lights as like a giant eyeball. that would wink at them. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that's Uh, odd.
0: As it moved around, they followed it. Uh, They eventually followed it to a farmhouse, and as they approached this farmhouse, it was glowing as if it were on fire. They saw the object at that point begin moving toward the farmhouse, and it then broke up into five separate objects uh, that were now white in color. Which shot into the sky and disappeared. Immediately after that, they see three star-like lights uh, in the sky, two to the north, one to the south, and they're all about ten degrees above the horizon. The objects move rapidly in sharp angular movements. So, if you know when you're looking at UFOs, you look for this extreme speeds and and impossible angles. Airplanes and helicopters they don't just turn on a dime. Right. UFOs can you know shift direction Define almost. Define gravity and logic. Yeah. Uh, They displayed red, green, and blue lights. Uh, Sergeant Ball, who was on the investigation team, his impression was that they were moving in what he called a grid search pattern. It was like these lights were looking for something. At one point, a light dove from the sky and straight towards a group of observers, flew through a truck, and then back into the sky. And then Colonel Halt was also outside at one point, and a light dropped from the sky towards him and his group. A beam of light came down within feet of, of, of contacting him,
1: Now, I'm envisioning, like, seriously, Close Encounters are the third kind here. This vessel, whatever is up here, and this huge beam of light just kind of beams down on the ground and almost like spotlighting the people down below looking at them.
0: Basically, yeah, is what it sounds like. Merry Christmas. So, uh, But this light comes within feet of them and then just disappears. And Halt is on record as saying that is the moment he changed from skeptic to believer. He believes what happened at that moment. And that is sort of the bulk of the Rendlesham Forest encounter. And and I don't know if you have any other accounts that.
1: Yeah, I, I uh, the forest area, we'll call it the landing site for lack of a better term. You know, as it was mentioned, the vessel they had kind of followed. At, at some point, they said it was hovering as they were following it, maybe 12 inches above the ground. But where they found the uh, landing platform impressions, if you will or the landing gear impressions, those trees had been burnt. We talked about there'd been radiation that had been detected. Broken branches. Uh, Now in the 80s, when this took place, that area was documented as full grown trees. You know, I'm envisioning probably 30 foot tall or so. But after that event, the trees began to kind of die. And to the point, like, I want to say it was 1993 to 1995 era, they went in and actually cleared part of that and replanted trees, you know, trying to just make it, better or more natural the trees that to this day have never grown back they didn't die but it was like their their growth was stunted so they're never more than like two or three feet tall which again kind of lends some credence there that whatever it was radiation or whatever something changed that ground well
0: Um, i do have a later that same december you can't have a good UFO story without a couple of uh, well-dressed gentlemen being involved. (laughs) There was a Vince Thurkettle, and he was visited in his home by two men dressed in suits. The men in black. He said they they appeared to be in about their 30s. They were smartly dressed, but they were dressed in in suits. They asked him if he'd been out that previous night. He he said, no, he was at home, mind his own business. When he responded no, they asked again, did you leave your house at all? Did you see anything last night? Uh, he said, no. And then uh, he said, why? And they said, well, there were reports of some lights seen in Rindlesham Forest. Uh, we were just kind of checking. Said they asked about 20 questions, politely but firmly, you know, insisted that he answer whatever they asked. And then uh, they left after saying, okay, oh, well, oh, well, fair enough. There's probably nothing in it. <laughs> and then they left. So he was a, a local. Uh, he thought they were journalists. Uh, and so he watched the papers for a couple days, figuring this this story would pop up. And he never saw a
1: story about it, so kind of thinks that uh, maybe they weren't journalists. Well, I think a couple things worth discussing a bit more was how, and I'm going to pick on the police uh, here for a little bit. The Suffolk police, you know, they dismissed it, of course, as the lighthouse. They then dismissed the imprints at the possible landing site as something done by animals. Yeah, animals could have done it. Well, first off, these are trained military personnel. These are Air Force pilots and soldiers. You you have to know, they are very familiar with aircraft of the day.
0: Well, and you'd have to assume yeah. being in that area. I mean, they were probably there Cold War purposes. Yeah, I'm sure I mean, they, they had were... training
1: on, yeah. you know, guys, this is some of the things we need to be looking for. You know, obviously, as we talked, it was kind of odd that it's uh, occurred in Britain, but it took place, I guess you would say, on temporary U.S. military base property. Well, um, the
0: events themselves happened in the forest. In the forest. So, uh, UFO, American personnel space, were involved. but e-
1: true. One of the funniest stories I thought was, and I, I couldn't really find the source, but it, someone had suggested uh, Britain's military was actually playing with the United States Air Force team, like staging an event.
0: I did read that. I don't remember. Was it uh, the, the SAS, I think? Is there That may have been. But yeah, like they had, in, they had dropped down, a helicopter in or something. Just, to mess, down, them. just to mess with Just
1: to mess with us Yankees. And of course, the Brits were very quickly saying, no, it was not <laughs> us. Why would we do that? You know? But then we're going to go back to this lighthouse, the uh, Orford Ness Lighthouse, I And believe. it
0: comes up a lot. And apparently, it, it's their kind of line of sight from some of the, the places they would have been off, that day. Off the
1: coast there. It was speculated, you know, it was the source of lights. However, again, I mean, these soldiers were based here. The lighthouse didn't just come on just one night once. randomly. Snuck up on them. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> you know, again, they would have to be familiar with that. And and even if it was a new guy that just got, you know, deployed you know, stationed there, his other soldier friends are going to be like, oh no, that happens every night. But in addition to this, there was an investigation done, I think it was in 2010 or 2012, where a group of researchers independently went over and they talked to the lighthouse keeper and they went through some of the history of the lighthouse. First and most primary, there is a giant steel plate that's actually used to block the majority of the light from the land side. Now, if you think about that, that makes very good sense.
0: Okay, now I'm not a lighthouse expert, but I've seen movies and I played video games. Now I believe a lighthouse has a spinning light. Yes, A big giant mirror type affair with a light in front of it, so yep. it projects a beam of light out to the, the I- ocean or the sea. Well, the idea being that you're projecting this light out so ships at sea don't come too close to the shore. Exactly, rocky. You know they they don't want to they don't want to reefs
1: or whatever the, the rocks. Mm-hmm. Now this
0: light spins around. Yes. Again, if there's a shield, because you don't, you don't it's need gonna to see that. It's going to be the that. lack of light. You don't need to see that light on the land. No. You don't need to see it on the, the land side of it. You only need it on the ocean side. So, yeah, it makes sense that they would put something to block it.
1: Yes. Now, obviously, you're going to maybe tell us that light is rotating that, hey, we got light. Oh, we didn't have light for a few seconds. Oh, we got the light back again. But that that would not explain the beams that they said that the, the Air Force men were were seeing. You know, but that That shield was made to reflect that back out to what I believe is the North Sea. So, again, that to me was just absolutely frivolous. That that made no sense whatsoever. They interviewed, I guess it was a historical society for the lighthouse, and, you know, they said, well, we've got to ask, you know, maybe was that added later? And they said, oh, no, that's part of the original (laughs) design. It's been there since day one. Um, so to me, th- I'm just going to cross that off the chalkboard. That doesn't make sense at all.
0: You know, a lot of skeptics claim that there's multiple explanations for what was seen that night. Apparently there was a, a fireball that, that, astronomers document flew through the sky and then possibly they saw debris from it. that looked like it was landing in the forest. Okay.
1: Again, with a shaped craft, pull it down in a direction. You know, they, they want to blame the
0: Orford Ness lighthouse. You mm-hmm. talked about why that seems kind of iffy. Some astronomers claim that the star-like stars, the star-like objects that were dancing around in the sky were, in fact, just stars. Again, you'd think trained military personnel, they can look at stars and go, okay, those are moving. Those are not. Yeah, okay. John Burrow was one of the, the airmen, he said that he thought that the light was coming from the local lighthouse at the time, uh, and that the animal noises were more than likely made by the local muntjac deer that live in the forest. I guess they can make all kinds of crazy noises. I don't know what a muntjac deer sounds Never like. Never heard of that, but okay. Some believed it was a Russian satellite that got downed and was recovered by the the U.S. Air Force. And obviously, if that were the case, we wouldn't be telling the truth about what happened anyway. Right, right. But again, you have the Suffolk police. They got called in. You have, you know, the, the halt affidavit, which he swears to this day, you know, that that happened. And in 2010, he signed the affidavit believing that it was, you know, that it was extraterrestrial. I guess the... One of his superiors, Colonel Ted Conrad, he issued a statement saying that nothing like what Halt had seen had ever been seen, either on the sky or on the ground, and that Halt should be ashamed and embarrassed
1: for his claims. So Shame on you for telling the truth.
0: Yeah, I mean, even the people like Halt clearly believe in what happened, and he's shamed for it. Well, again,
1: you mentioned a fireball, you know, a meteor or something that crashed. We had red lights, we had blue lights, we had green lights, orange lights. You have multiple servicemen. You have this vessel that they followed hovering 12 inches above the ground, moving in and about the trees. I don't know about you, but when a meteor or asteroid falls, I mean, it I usually just stop. It yeah. just kind of stops abruptly, maybe to digs to through, through the ground a little bit if it's big enough. So again, these things don't make sense. What we're talking about may also not make sense to us, but... To, to just throw something on the wall and see if it sticks, I th- I think that's what's going on here.
0: Well, these people, they, they propose all these strange and exotic ideas, but none of them really match up with what was described that day by multiple eyewitnesses. Yes. Yeah. Well, if you go to Rendlesham Forest now, it has a UFO trail, and on that trail is a life-size flying saucer that does have some hieroglyphics inscribed on the side of it.
1: That are not three foot tall, by they're, the way.
0: They're probably not, no. No. But uh, it's on, uh, there, it's like a...
1: Well, it, it's I guess like it like a be, tourist destination kind of thing.
0: Well, I was going to say, I found it on, I guess, like a, the equivalent of United States State Park kind of website. Yeah. I guess they have a very similar thing. For, I believe for they even
1: have like a camping area there.
0: So, yeah, apparently when Rendlesham Forest has, I don't want to say they've embraced it, but if you're going to put a life-size UFO out there, you must be comfortable with
1: saying something happened. Yeah, yeah, you know, so kudos to, uh, to the Brits for at least acknowledging this.
0: You know, it, it's Christmas time. And I know as part of most Christmas traditions, a lot of people say they see all kinds of strange stuff flying through the sky. <laughs> it so wasn't Santa, we I'm don't sure, think, at yeah, this point in time. yeah, these guys weren't expecting the, to encounter a UFO that night. But again, like I said at the beginning, our our, our servicemen and women, you know, they, they're out there serving our country. You know, we're, we don't get political on this podcast. We try not to. Try not to. So yes. respect, you know, that these guys volunteer to do what they do. And some of them, they don't get to be at home with their family. They get to be out on Christmas night chasing UFOs through the forest. Uh, on, on foreign soil, without weapons, not knowing what they're going to come up against. What if it had been the Russians? Yeah. You know, if it had been the Russians, they were out
1: there without they probably, weapons. Probably Russians would have probably had guns. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> they just got to go yeah, out there. Say. Mean, <laughs> if it been them,
0: um, and you know, again, I think we're showing our age when we talk about the Russians being the bad guy. But if you live through Cold War times, that was that was the big bad guy at the time. You know, before the War on Terror, you had the Cold War, and that was that was our big enemy of the day. So yeah, these guys. No matter what happened, you you ought to say, even though the ones that went out searching for this, those were some brave folks, as they went out there unarmed, not knowing what they were getting ready to walk into. So you got to respect that, if nothing else. Well,
1: then you have, like, you know, Jim Pendleston, that is actually probably taking, you know, ridicule for doing his job and trying to stand up. and For halt and and getting ridiculed and and
0: shamed for Uh, for standing up and saying, hey, this is what we saw. How
1: dare you dream up this crap and, you know blasphemy the the military but again like i said it wasn't too long ago that the military uh you know basically said it never existed and then just in the last five ten years they've come forward with actual military footage from our aircraft
0: let's go back to our episode about roswell you know when you look up roswell you you very rarely find roswell ufo crash that's been censored. the roswell balloon incident They've done their best to take any mention of UFO out of that particular event, regardless of what happened. You know, yeah. you know we've, they've kind of done their best to say not one a UFO was ballooned to that down. This seems like one where there was just so much going on. They couldn't chalk it up to, you know, it wasn't a balloon. It wasn't a fireball. It wasn't the lighthouse. There's too much it going on. It wasn't those
1: rascally rabbits. It might have been the mutt jack. The mutt jack deer. <laughs> That's what we're going to blame it on.
0: Yeah. Again, like I said, Christmas night. These guys are roaming around out in the woods. I imagine it was cold and probably snow on the ground. I I, I don't know. I, I would guess for that time yeah. of year. Uh, so again, you know, if nothing else, you got to appreciate the bravery of these guys going out there trying to figure out what this was and for what they encountered and, and what some of them have had to put up with over the years. Yeah, you know, good on them.
1: Kudos to them. Well, we hope that you've enjoyed uh, our, we'll call it our Christmas special in Rendlesham Forest.
0: Before we go too far, I know we do this a lot on our particular podcast, but this will be our last episode of 2021. So here's hoping, cross your fingers, that 2022 gets better. Although, you know, all signs are not pointing to yes right now.
1: The bottle's still spinning.
0: I, again, Eric, I, you know, say thank you to the listeners, the people. We Absolutely. do this for fun. Uh, we enjoy this. We were we were talking to uh, someone just the other day, and we were explaining how this, this started out as just me and Eric having these conversations anyway. And then saying, you know, I, I'd started listening to podcasts. We got to talking about it. And you're like, why don't we do that? Why don't we do a podcast? And I'm like, and to be honest, I was very resistant to the idea. And I kind of put it off. And then we just said, okay, we're going to pick a day and we're going to start doing this. We finally
1: just jumped off the cliff.
0: So <laughs> I know we've got about 30 to 50 loyal listeners out there, maybe more, just looking at the downloads. And, and so we appreciate each and every one of you. Thanks for uh, bearing with us. You know, and I know my, my brother and sister plug us all over the place, whether they listen to all the episodes or not. So uh, for those people, for those of you listening, we appreciate it. That's the reason we do it, because we're trying to tell a good story, and we hope you guys enjoy that. Uh, and again, I know we said this before, we're always fishing for ideas. We, you can reach out to us on our Facebook page and then let us know. Please
1: follow us on Facebook. We kind of let out some teasers and share some yeah. additional footage and some different things well, there. Well, yeah,
0: every now and then we find a link that's definitely in line with what we do. And, and Eric thank you for finding time to spend talking to me with about this ridiculous about these ridiculous topics we we, we come to, to love
1: it goes both so. ways and thank you for doing all your editing uh, <laughs> Bill again he doesn't get enough credit uh, after we're done here in the recording studio he still has hours and hours of of putting together and trying to clean up and give us the best copies to listen to out there so i don't want to appreciate it i
0: don't want to pat myself on the back too much but i think we sound
1: pretty good i I think we've gotten better that's (laughs) for sure (laughs) we've improved please stay tuned for more and this is just yet another example of what you'll find on nightmares on the lost highway thanks for listening we'd like to give a shout out to our first uh paying sponsor raven's loft that's our family shop here located in uh, lebanon missouri it's your one-stop gaming, vintage toy and collectible shop where you can find Star Wars, Transformers, GI Joe, comics, final records, role-play gaming, Magic the Gathering and so much more. We're located here at 223 West Commercial Downtown Lebanon and also in our second location, uh, also here in Lebanon at the Heartland Antique Mall. We'd like to thank Ravensloft for again supporting Nightmares on the Lost Highway. I want to take a time to thank the people that helped bring this all together. Uh, Alex Tudor, you can
0: almost call him our producer at this point. Sarah Tudor, who also helps with some of the technical stuff. I want to take a moment to extend thanks to Eric for letting us use his space to record in kind of our makeshift studio.
1: I, in turn, would like to thank Bill for, one, putting up with me and uh, (laughs) using this camaraderie to do something we both very much love and enjoy doing. And thank Bill's family for allowing him to spend all the time to work and clean up our recordings and present them in what uh, you hear in the final uh, terms, uh, the final edition, if you will. Um, and I'd like
0: to thank all of you for continuing to, to listen. I know we've got some loyal followers out there. We do this as a labor of love, but we're, we're happy that there are people that enjoy it as hopefully as much as we do. Thank you very much.